0: This podcast contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Queer Lives, real stories queer people. This is a podcast dedicated to being a platform for real stories from the LGBTQ community. My name is Ben Moody, and I am the producer of this podcast. This week, we have Peter Breeze. Peter is a talent agent and event promoter currently living in the Okanagan. His passions include The Real Housewives, UFOs, and Drag Queens.
1: Um, So I I was thinking a lot about what story I wanted to tell. Um, I didn't really know what the crowd would be or what the vibe would be. And um, I decided while I was listening that there's only one thing I really know for sure about myself. And that's this. My name is Peter Breeze and I'm a celebrity trapped in an average person's life. (laughs) This has been... It sounds funny, but it's a constant struggle. Um, When I was in grade three, um, growing up in Calgary, Alberta, um, the music teacher came into class one day and she said that the kid who who had the lead role in the school play had to drop out because their parents said, this is too much work for somebody in grade three. Do you have anybody in your class that might be interested? And the teacher said, Peter would be great. He talks all the time. He's always telling stories. So I got volunteered to star in the school play. I took the script home. It was about baseball. The only thing I really knew about was the Olsen twins in full house. So (laughs) it was a stretch for me. But my mom said that she had never seen me focus so much on something. I would come home and just read the script and read the script and want to rehearse and want to rehearse. And, you know, my dad would teach me, you know, how to swing the bat and about um, throwing the baseball. And the script had a lot of references to baseball players that I had never heard of. So he helped me get comfortable with the stories. And I really, really loved it. On the opening night, I did the play. Um, It was kind of me on stage for like, I don't know, it felt like two hours, but it was an elementary school. So maybe it was 20 minutes. I don't know. Um, But at the end of the play, the whole audience stood up the whole audience stood up and clapped and you know cheered and i just sort of like stood there in my little body like oh my god <laughs> that was the first time i got high <laughs> been chasing that ever since <laughs> so i finished that plane immediately Soon after that, my dad was watching um, the Oscars. So I'm watching these beautiful people on this red carpet in this fancy, all these fancy outfits. And I'm like, who are those people, dad? And he said, Peter, those are movie stars. That's what I want to do. Um, And then quickly after decided that I wanted to be a star and I didn't really know what it meant. I just knew that I loved the feeling that I got when I was on stage. And growing up in Calgary, I was always different. I was soft, I I liked playing with dolls, I liked playing with Barbies, I was into gymnastics, I liked dancing, and I was always around the girls. I just gravitated towards them. And I could sense that there was something different about me. Nobody ever said it, but you know, when I was with the boys or when they would separate the boys and the girls, it just didn't feel right. So When I found this fame dream, when I created that world, it became my security blanket. So when I felt insecure, I would talk about that I was going to be a star or, you know, instead of in social situations interacting, I would sort of take control and put on shows so that it became my buffer. Um, I had to do a lot of research because I didn't know how to get from being a little gay boy in Calgary to Hollywood. So I took the phone book off of the fridge one day and I looked up, well, first I looked up Amy Jo Johnson who is the Pink Power Ranger, because I, <laughs> I, I didn't realize I, that the phone book was just for people in Calgary. I thought it was for anybody in the world including the people I saw on TV. So after I didn't find Amy Jo Johnson, um, I looked up acting and modeling and I would call talent agents when I was like eight, nine and 10 and they're like, you need to get your mom or dad to call because you're too young and you can't get to the office and there's some stuff we have to talk about. So my mom would get calls at work all the time from talent agents and eventually she took me in and I got headshots and I went to auditions and I got the ball rolling. When I was in junior high, I did my first play, and then when I was in high school, I was part of Callaway Live, which I compared to the Mickey Mouse Club, but it was in Calgary at Callaway Park, so it obviously wasn't quite on that scale, because I'm at Wine and Art in Kelowna now, I'm not Britney Spears, so um, it was, you know, after school, dancing and singing, and then we would perform all summer. I was part of the Young Canadians, which performed at the Calgary Stampede in front of like 120,000 people. Um, I, I had a couple of roles in feature films growing up. I had to shave my head bald. I didn't even have any lines, but I didn't care because I was on camera and they, you know, put my name. I had an um, actor, but the, the director's chair. The only thing I wanted in life, the director's chair. So I was really good at, at creating opportunities and chasing this dream and, and doing all this and turned 18 and graduated from high school, I had to figure out how I was going to keep this going because I kind of exhausted all of my resources in Calgary. Any performing troupe that I could join, I did. I joined it, I excelled, and then I kind of moved on. Um, Then I discovered nightlife. I started going to the clubs. Now, I didn't really have any idea about what partying was. I I was really naive, so I never thought about drinking and drugs at that point. Um, And I remember going to the club for the first time when I was 18 and just feeling very um, in awe of the environment, how loud the music was, the lights, and how people were just so free. You know, they just said things and did things and wore things. And it was just like completely normal. Nobody batted an eye. The first party I ever went to was this hardcore s party. And I couldn't believe that people were doing this. And then the next day they would go to work. So I definitely got attached to the nightlife thing. So I wanted to be famous. I knew that I no- love nightlife and I needed to find out how it was going to keep this moving. I was working at Shaw Cable um, as a customer service representative, (laughs) Um, which basically, I mean, I was hungover all the time, so I would just put my phone on Do Not Disturb and go on Nexopia and (laughs) add pictures of myself and talk to cute boys and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And I was making a lot of money. I would, well, not a lot of money, but I was, you know, 17, 18, I was living at home, so I didn't have to pay rent. So I would spend my money on taking limos to the club buying all my friends' drinks and other things. Um, And one day while I was at Shell Cable, it was really busy, and I just looked around. I saw everybody sort of doing this rat race thing. You know, everybody's looking at their computer. There's no inspiration. It's just sort of you come in, you sit down, you plug it in. It's like, "Mm," the life leaves you. And I stood up in the middle of my shift one day, and I went to my boss and said, I can't do this anymore. He's like, "What do you mean you can't do this anymore?" I said, "I just don't think this is the job for me." He's like, "Okay, fine." So I left um Shaw Cable and went to WestJet and bought a one-way ticket to LA. I went home and I put it on the fridge. My mom came home and she cried. Um Why are you going to L.A.? Mom, you know I am going to L.A. I need to be a star. I need to get out of the city. I can't be working at Shaw Cable. going to Twisted Element every weekend forever. Twisted Element was the gay bar in Calgary. Still is. They just sold it, though. Um, So I end up going to L.A. In the months preparing for my trip to L.A., I studied star magazine and us weekly and people magazine and the celebrity gossip sites. And I had this journal and I had written down where all the celebrities went. I knew where they went for coffee. I knew where they went to party. I knew where they lived. I knew where they shopped. I knew the streets. I knew everything about it. I'd never been to LA, but I had a list, you know, I knew where they were going to be and I was going to go find them. I was going to join their little club and it was going to be awesome. Um, So I get to LA I didn't have a place to live, um so I showed up at this hostel in Hollywood, <laughs> and I was Canadian, so I couldn't make money, but um, I had some money saved up, so um, my plan was work and live in the hostel because if you clean the rooms, you can live there for free. So I was going to clean the toilets during the day and then at night we'd go out and become famous. Um, the first car ride from the airport to Hollywood. Um, we were going through Hollywood Boulevard and I saw this mob of people in front of this giant theater and the guy on the Semma, the guy in the, in the blue bus that was driving us to the hostel said that Melanie Griffith was getting her star on the walk of fame. And I was like, let me out. He <laughs> pulled over on Hollywood Boulevard. They made multiple stops. He didn't just pull over cause I yelled at him. Um, and I ran over and I just saw the spectacle. It was the first time i had ever seen it in real life. You know, Melanie Griffith, Antonio Banderas, paparazzi. She was getting her star. And it was just so amazing that everything I'd ever thought about was right there in front of me. So they finished their little ceremony. Now I need to go find the hostel. So I'm following these stars down Hollywood Boulevard, and I'm just texting my mom and I'm taking pictures of everything. There's Michael Jackson and um, Mary Kate Nashley Olsen and Britney Spears, and I'm just walking on top of all these famous people. It was just the most incredible, incredible experience. I was so overwhelmed with anticipation and excitement. The first couple weeks, um, actually, not the first couple weeks, about the first week, I started going to the locations that I had. Made notes of. I found out where all the clubs were during the day, and then at night I went there and I figured out you know which night. So on Monday night it was Club Mood. On Wednesday night it was Geisha Club. On Thursday night it was um, LAX because they didn't really go out on the weekends. The celebrities went out during the week because they didn't have to work. Well, Paris Hilton didn't have to work. Um, <laughs> So one night I'm in front of Rock Bar, um, no, sorry, Geisha Club. And this is the club that Ashton Kutcher owns. So I'm standing outside of the club and I'm, I know this is the night when celebrities kind of go and I'm waiting and nobody's there and the bouncer's standing outside and there's nothing's really happening and I'm kind of getting disappointed. And then all of a sudden this black SUV pulls up and then the second black SUV pulls up and then the third SUV pulls up. And these guys get out, these huge, muscular, well-dressed men with these giant cameras. They were, like, this big. You can't see through the radio, but it was, like, a big, extensive camera. <laughs> so they all get up, and then people from the alley start running, and then this mob from across the street. And it went from me staying in front of a club to, like, a mob of 40 grown men with these big, extensive cameras, and they're all, like, you know, puffing their chests and getting all – it was kind of, like – before a football game like this hyper masculine energy and I knew exactly what they were they were the paparazzi so I'm like if the paparazzi is here that means somebody's inside so I'm like oh my god I'm so excited I have my my fancy ripped jeans I have my disposable camera in my pocket and my leather jacket and I'm asking them who are you waiting for who are you waiting for who are you waiting for and they're like never mind kid you know totally totally ignoring me It was dark at this point. So they're all sort of huddled around the side door and all of a sudden it opens and this bouncer walks out. He's sort of, you know, checking around. He's a paparazzi, goes back into the door. And then like 30 seconds later, Paris Hilton walks out floor length, fuchsia, sparkly dress in my mind. When I thought celebrities left clubs, I thought they ran from the dance floor to their limo and drove home. Paris Hilton walks so slow in front of all those cameras. It was like every slow motion moment in any movie you'd ever seen. She walks out and she's walking so slow and they're taking her picture. And she's, you know, stopping and doing her little like hip tilt and flipping her hair. I'm trying to make my way through all these grown men and I get tossed, literally tossed to the ground because when I was 19, I was like 100 pounds soaking wet. Um, so I get out and I scramble and I get my digital, uh, not digital, disposable camera. I'm winding it up, right? <laughs> winding it up. So I squeeze my way through and um, I'm sort of like sticking my head in, in, in the middle of all these men. I'm like, Paris, Paris, you look so beautiful. And she turned and she looked at me and she said, Thanks, gorgeous. I mean, literally dead, <laughs> dead. They kept taking her picture. I slow, I don't even think I moved. I probably just sort of stood there, kind of like in a daze for a couple moments, ran away, started calling all my friends. I just met Paris Hilton. I just met Paris Hilton. That was within the first week of living in L.A. So huge accomplishment. I'd only been there a week, made contact with Paris and Things were looking good. <laughs> I hadn't gotten into a club yet, but I had seen kind of how it worked. Like there's long lineups and the people in the lineups don't really get in. Like they wait all night and they try and sometimes they do, but the lineup doesn't really move. It's mostly people who just walk in, like they pull up and they walk in and they look important. And I had to be one of those people. So the first time I was attempting to do this was rock bar which was owned by Tommy Lee and Nick Carter. No, Tommy Lee. Sorry, Nick Carter comes in later. Um, so I, I I turned the corner. There's a huge lineup. Again, my ripped jeans, the only thing I wore, they were, you know, was basically just flesh and a band, a denim band, <laughs> turquoise underwear, um, leather jacket, huge pink Versace sunglasses that I had bought, spent $400 on so that I looked good in LA. And I, I had heard in the lineup that um, Howard Stern was inside with the Playboy Bunnies. It was somebody's birthday, and they were having this big party. So I'm like, hey, Howard Stern's in there. I'm trying to remember who Howard Stern was. I knew who the Playboy Bunnies were huge lineup. I know that I can't do that because once I go into the lineup, that's it. I'm just like everybody else. So I go to the front and I just stand in front of the bouncer and have this lollipop. I don't know why I had a lollipop, but I was sucking on the lollipop and I was just kind of like looking at him, kind of like a trashy Lolita gay boy club kid. <laughs> and I can tell he's trying to figure out who I am because I did look like I could be a celebrity, I had big glasses, I was dressed interesting. Um, so I could tell he was trying to figure out if I was somebody he should let in. He gets on his little headset and somebody comes out who's the owner and he looks at me and he said, who are you with? And I said, Howard Stern. He said, that's too bad. Cause if you would have told me the truth and said you were with yourself, I would have just let you in. I was like, fuck. I left that night. I was really disappointed because I knew that I was cool enough, but I got scared in that moment. I thought I had to lie and say that I was with a celebrity. I went back a couple nights later um, to the same bar, showed up. He asked who I was with. I said, no one. And he let me in. Um, That night, Tommy Lee was there and um, he was sharing a booth with Aaron Carter. I'm sorry. Nick Carter, my god, like, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, with Nick Carter. And when I was younger, people always told me that I looked like Aaron Carter. I had like a mushroom cut. And so my friend was um, I was my friend, he was a drag queen, the biggest Britney Spears impersonator at the time. So we sort of like drink, 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 and sort of like move on in and um I can, Nick Carter's looking at me. I'm looking at Nick Carter and I'm like, he, he knows that I look like his brother. This is my hand. So I go up. I was, I honestly, I was pretty drunk. So I don't really know what I said, but we ended up sitting with them drinking all night. And when we left, we, the bar had closed down. Tommy Lee owned the bar. So we stayed and drank for a little bit longer. Um, And when we left paparazzi and so I got to experience leaving a club and and being um, being amongst all the camera flashes. And then the next week in the tabloids, it said that Tommy Lee got drunk with Nick and Aaron Carter, but it wasn't Aaron Carter. It was me. So anyway, very, very successful. Um, Not getting into the club was a huge thing for me because I knew inside of myself that I was cool enough to get in. I knew that I could work that world and my dreams of being famous were so strong that I need to let my instincts follow me or guide me. Sorry. A couple years later, I moved to Vancouver and I was kind of faced with the same thing. I was on the outside. I needed to figure out how to penetrate the club scene because in my mind, that's where things happened. And I still am a huge supporter of nightlife. I think that that's where artists thrive and they express themselves and a lot of magical things happen. So. I was going to the club one night and it was my first time in a city with multiple gay bars because I'm from Calgary, right? I didn't even go to West Hollywood when I lived in L.A. I was just in Hollywood. Um, and I went to the Odyssey the first night and I got dressed up and I walked up to the door. Same thing, long lineup and the bouncer looked at me and he's like, who are you? I said, I'm Peter Breeze." He said, who are you with? I said, no one. He said, come right in. <laughs> and that's my story. <laughs>
0: Peter's Story was recorded live at Wine & Art in Kelowna, British Columbia, on January 31st, 2017. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Resist Stigma. Resist Stigma is a national initiative that engages young, gay, bisexual, queer, and trans men, as well as health professionals in combating stigma. You can find them online at www.resiststigma.com. Sound systems at the live event were provided by Austical Hearing and Tinnitus Treatment Center, a new hearing experience. Celebrate sound again. You can check them out at www.colonahearing.com. A massive thank you to the Men's Health Initiative in Kelowna for helping out with the recording, and to Wilbert Turner for providing his beautiful bar, Wine & Art, for the live event. If you enjoyed this program, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found us. Reviews really help podcasts expand their listener base, which ensures that they continue. You can check us out online at www.queerlivespodcast.com. My name is Ben Moody, and this was Queer Lives.